the third victim mm. owns up to the murder of the second victim. Oh my God, come on. It says, I killed oh, him, I'm so sorry. And then it says, this is verbatim, BTW, do not blame the other guy whose house I was with, the guy in the flat across the road. He was no. nothing to do with it. No, it doesn't fucking yeah, it say does. that. It says BTW. You fuck off. It, it says, says that. It says this the is, guy Are in you the reading flat off 4chan? Double check the URL. <laughs> and the police went, nothing suspicious here. Friends, and welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party. I'm Jack Lewis Evans. And my name is Sean Morley. Sean, before we begin, would you like to do a murder? I've actually always been desperate to do a murder. I'm really keen, but sadly I am too scared. Scared of snuffing out a life? Scared of removing possibility from an innocent? Scared of nights made sleepless by guilt? Oh, no, um, none of those, in fact. I'm just... I'm just scared of that dang slammer, the rosers, the loud sirens in my wee ears, scared of someone whispering cockney rhyming slang across the darkness of a wet cell. That's fucked. Well, you've got some food for thought coming up in this episode, which is about the rationales given for the repressive powers of the state. And I suppose we're going to talk about murders a lot, so if you don't want to hear about murders, you can skip to the end of the episode where we thank you for listening. And we'll also thank you for supporting us on Patreon, which you can do at patreon.com forward slash mandatory redistribution party. Thank you very much to those of you who do support us on there. And for those of you without a coin to your name, we also accept praise, especially praise that's about us, but directed to your friends and family. Right, uh, you ready to begin? Just one thing first. Yeah? Two can play at that game. Goodbye, my friend. Is... Jonathan Creek copaganda. Because he's not he's not technically a cop, is he? He's just a magician that snitches. He's not remotely a cop. No. He's not even a magician. He comes up with the magic for people with charisma. Yeah, he's yeah. just like one of the writers for a mm. magician who does the, the tricks. Mm. And he's not even assisting a police officer. Mm. He's assisting a journalist. Right. So even though there's no actual police officers involved in the main cast yeah is it nevertheless copaganda it's just a magician solving very elaborate crimes a ma sorry a magician i tell you what here's i believe that if you conceive of magic tricks and your profession is to conceptualize perform magic a magician still appropriately describes you even though if you don't perform it. it well, if you conceive of magic tricks in your own head you're a magician if your income comes from conceiving magic tricks and selling them to performance magicians you are perhaps more even of a magician than the person who just ha has the performance the ability to perform the things you created because you're creating the ideas yeah it's the writer performer dichotomy right mm -hmm. you can yeah. have someone purely write and someone purely perform 
it's com and it's complicated. There's grey areas there. So I'm I'm comfortable referring to Jonathan Greek as a magician. Just put I'm just, okay, yeah. I'm just getting that down now. Okay. Because otherwise I'm gonna be searching for a word. Out of the way. I'm gonna be searching for a word to describe <laughs> Jonathan Creek that's just gonna slam the brakes on uh, whatever this discussion is. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I'm happy to call him a magician. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Nomenclature confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> now back to the my original question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know if jonathan creek's propaganda because i guess he sometimes helps the police i haven't watched jonathan creek for over a decade so i can't remember how the police feature in it but one thing i would say one of my propaganda takes is that so many uh stories that are out there are about cops partly because it's it's useful to write cop stories because they the way stories work finding out a piece of information the process of discovery uh, is a really important aspect of story writing. And it's kind of a cheat code because the highest end of storytelling, characters change. Whereas it's a kind of yeah. a hack to just gain more information because you can create the kind of fast food version of quality storytelling. What changes is the amount of information you have and then you behave differently because you have different information. So cops in society are a, a thing people are familiar with that in fiction invest you know investigating our kind of detectives and stuff like that same with like private investigators so there's like story reasons that cops are in loads of stuff but also that people try to write cops as in like you know these problematic characters who are you know deeply flawed and sometimes like completely horrible but even if you write a story that's like about deeply flawed and horrible cops more often you end up because that's the character you follow that's who you're sympathizing and empathizing and going on the journey with then it's still kind of propaganda because you're but structurally uh, puts you in the the sort of cop's perspective, even if it's saying guess, they suck. And I guess that's, unless they're like terrible at their job and it's a completely yeah. pointless show, they yeah, are yeah. still solving the crimes, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, no matter yeah. how much of a bastard the policeman is, uh -huh. always in some way it's all justified because they keep the streets safe. And if they don't, <laughs> then what are you watching? Just someone going around going, I don't know. I don't know what this is. <laughs> I don't know who did this. The Wire tries to do like a structural critique of both the cops and prisoners, stuff like that. But then even then, I don't know. I think it's, uh, I think there's limitations to it. By the way, I love The Wire and I also love loads of cop shows. So, And I'm saying this as someone who is smashing Columbo at the moment. Yeah, Columbo fucking rules. Columbo. Columbo's got good class analysis and yeah. he solves crime by looking like a piece of shit. He looks awful. And the vill the villains are always almost always rich horrible fuckers but you've got to say colombo's still propaganda though because it still launders the reputation of the police uh -huh. and and the uh systemic and structural purpose and function mm. of the police yeah yeah and do you think it stops being propaganda entirely just provided the people who are solving the crimes are magicians are not actually part of the or even just like miss marple she wasn't a police mm. officer was she she yeah. was just sort of a busybody yeah yeah the famous five mm. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say that potentially they they are still propaganda. Oh, I can I can be I'm ready to be convinced by this. All of these things almost always revolve around murder, mm -hmm. and the prevalence of murder, as absurd as it is in all of these places, mm -hmm. and also the strange means in which they're carried out to make murder interesting, mm -hmm. creates this idea that murder is constant. A constant threat to your life, <laughs> and that yeah. you need specialized individuals yeah. to come in 
and explain and safeguard you Mm -hmm. from murder. So even though it's coming from a storytelling perspective of like, these make good stories, right from Victorian Penny Dreadfuls, Mm -hmm. right to like the Sherlock Holmes remake, there's Mm -hmm. a constant of, there's a murder, exciting. Mm -hmm. Who did this murder? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. This guy does. Everyone come to the drawing room right now. (laughs) This feeling that like, oh, everyone's going to get murdered and murder happens in these Rube Goldberg complicated ways Mm. creates a feeling that there's a lot more crime in the world, but you also need specialists to deal with these, right? Outsiders that you call in. Because they never have a cop that just investigates extremely elaborate Rube Goldberg theft. And if that, if there is a story about extremely elaborate theft, it will be in favour of the criminals, like an Oceans movie. People love heists. Yeah. You never get you never get a film like that where it's like, let's do a murder. Okay, yeah. Here's a team. <laughs> <laughs> Crack team of assassins. Oh my God, yeah. I would watch the fuck out of that though. Let's murder an old man and take all his money. Okay, here's the team. We got Johnny Legs. He's going to come. He's going to kick, the, kick the shit out of him. Yeah. yeah. Then we got Beluga. He's just coming from Russia. XKGB. He's going to blow the fucking doors up. Let's kill this old guy. <laughs> There's a bit where it seems like the plan's gone wrong and they've killed the wrong person. We killed a different old guy. Oh no. And then all the team go off and they go back. He, Beluga goes back to Russia. Everyone goes back to where they were. Some of them just going back to like play horse against the walls of the estate. But one of them still believes. Johnny Fists. And he comes around, he's got gold-plated fists, and he comes around all the different ones and gives them a pep talk. It's all grayscale where they've gone back to the estate or or back to, like, Moscow. We can do it. We can still kill this old guy. He's still got loads of money. <laughs> Why do you need money? Your fists are already made of gold. Yeah, I'm not, well, I'm not going to sell them. I need them. I'm not, not yeah. going to sell my fists. While I have the fists at the moment, I also use them yeah. as hands. <laughs> Yeah, but why, why are they gold? Couldn't you get another prosthetic? Well, they're not prosthetic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was born this way. <laughs> Johnny Goldhands. Johnny Goldhands. Um, so that's why you just don't see any yeah. Johnny Goldhands style films. No, no. For probably a number of reasons now that yeah. we've summarised the entire plot. <laughs> My thesis here is that yeah. you don't need to be a cop show to be propaganda. You just need to push the big murder, scary world mm. agenda. Mm. Second to that, I am pretty convinced if you try to do one of the really bizarro, elaborate Rube Goldberg murders yeah. from Colombo or Jonathan Creek, you would get away with it. If we want to get into how effective the police are at actually doing investigations. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind the frequency of like unhinged Hannibal slash true detective murders they would not yeah you you would get away with it because i used to read a lot of that's life magazine on (laughs) the loo yeah and i never saw and this is where you someone's done a big rube goldberg murder Mm. with like Mm. five different parts and then one of the walls (laughs) span around and actually it looked like coffee but it was poison yeah it it never happens or if it does happen <laughs> mm. it's never found out about because yeah. you would hear about that they would make amazing stories you wouldn't need detective shows you could watch the news <laughs> right <laughs> so how come we live in a world which is one on one hand we're told it's full of murder right yeah 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 we need people to protect us from murder uh-huh. and that is 
one of the reasons for existing for the police force. Someone could come and murder you. They don't protect you from murder. Murder just happens and then they hunt down the people who've done it. I mean, in terms of the in terms of the, the, the pitch, you know, the yeah, pitch yeah, to yeah, the yeah. public for having the police. Yeah. If you're going to Dragon's Den and pitching it, I think that sentence would come up. You know all this private property you've got? Yeah. Aren't you worried about anyone that's been taking it? Yeah, I'm actually worried about that, yeah. I'm actually worried about that, yeah. yeah. Okay, I've got an idea. Group of lads, they can, yeah. they can do violence, no one else can. And when they do violence, it's called force. Jedi, they Jedi. Well, that's really good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we hadn't yeah. seen Star Wars when we started working on this, but we're yeah. going to incorporate yeah. that yeah, straight we'll put, away. We'll put a thing that makes the zhoo noise in a baton. Yeah, we're all going to wear high-vis flowery robes <laughs> down, down to our ankles. Um, all these high-vis road people, our main job is just to harass anyone outside of the same class status of the owner of the building. <laughs> but they would, yeah, they would definitely be like, we will stop murders. Exactly, uh, right? Because uh, you can't pitch it to the public and being like, we're going to stop you going in that building. <laughs> That's not, you couldn't get a consensus position on that, right? So Their social function is the defence of private property, which you'll see them doing way more than you'll see them stopping murders. But the pitch is more so on the stopping murder than the protecting private property, yeah. 100%. In reality, the police are more of a threat to urban explorers than serial killers. <laughs> yes. But despite that, we also have these TV shows, hugely mm-hmm. popular, mm-hmm. which give you a complete blueprint on how to do a, a premeditated murder in cold blood and never get caught. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, well, there's no evidence that the actual police in real life know how to solve. By talking about propaganda, we're talking about the entirely wrong thing. What we should actually be talking about is murder school. Everyone's watching murder school. Everyone's watching murder school, but where are the murders? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has flunked murder school. <laughs> now, I think a lot of people have consumed so much of that that most people would be able to do a murder and get away with it if they chose to do it. But they but don't. They don't. Yeah. They just don't do that. <laughs> Do you, know, do you want some murder stats? Hit me. Murders are pretty pretty low. Yeah, yeah. About 700 reported murders a year on the mm. highest end, but on, mm. on average at the moment, it's about like 10 people in a million mm. are murdered in England mm. and Wales. But also prosecutions for murders, like anyone being suspected of it and charged, is like less than 10%. If you do a murder, you are 90% chance that you're going to get away with it. And when it comes to what the murders are, yeah. it's normally stabbings, blunt force, yeah. occasionally a strangulation. It's like spur of the moment, mm. I have a knife on me and I'm in an extreme situation of some kind, whether mm. I'm like part of some kind of gang or something organised yeah, or whether I'm just yeah. really angry or whether I'm just something extreme has happened yeah. to me yeah, or yeah, I have yeah. become extreme through yeah. some reason. <laughs> what it isn't, it's like a five-part revolving wall Different kinds of poisons on a lazy Susan. And they can still only get 10% of them. They're idiot mode murders, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, They're not like giganto brain murders. Yeah. And so there is every reason to believe if you wanted to go and do a giganto brain murder, which I think at the, will only cost you about two grand. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I say yeah. you can do a giganto brain murder on the cheap for around two grand. I think you could do a pretty big murder and actually net gain and just call it austerity. Mm. That's quite a big murder. (laughs) Multi-murder. Ultra kill. (laughs) Achievement unlocked. Rampage. (laughs) Consequences, zero. Actually, no, consequences, electoral gain. Consequences, 
you resigned because you kissed an aide rather than <laughs> killing over a hundred thousand people. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to go down history as someone who just loved to kiss. <laughs> Combo. <laughs> people just don't seem to want to murder that much. I don't want to murder. I don't want to. Do you know? There's I think people I fucking hate, and I don't want to murder anyone. I think a lot of people think that if the purge happened, yeah. like murder became legal. They just think everyone would start murdering. Mm. They just think it would be murder town. Mm. But if the purge really happened, I think you would get maybe a few people dressed up as clowns. Mm -hmm. And you would get the odd stabbing, right? We're not denying that. But I still think the buses would run approximately as on time as they do now. (laughs) I think you could still get the same products from the shops. I think most things fairly normal. Might be a few more. There'll be loads of dine and dashes because people think the purge all crime is legal. It's mainly going to affect small restaurants. There might be more It's not going to be a murder. Like if you could have a go at doing a heist with a safety net of there wouldn't be consequences, you might try a heist. You might do heists, yeah, but it wouldn't become murder town. There'd be a lot more urban exploring. (laughs) Urban exploring (laughs) would skyrocket, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Diamond Dash would be so big that restaurants would just shut for the purge. Sorry, we shut for the purge. (laughs) You've got to do Just Eat. (laughs) Can't dine and dash on Just Eat. Um, you go into a restaurant on purge day and then you see you see the three people before you just as you're going in you're asking for a take can I have a table for two please people get up and go whoa 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 where are you going Dan and Dash is having a real nightmare and you're like yeah it's really bad when people do that isn't it yeah table for two please yeah Yeah, can I have a table by the door (laughs) just hell champagne yeah what's the point of the police is the point of the police to solve crimes. The solution rate of crimes in the UK is about 25%. That's one in four. Three in four crimes go unsolved. On top of that, remember that a lot of that 25% that is solved is made up of such challenging crimes as a 14-year-old black lad I arbitrarily harassed had a tiny bit of weed in his pocket. Is the point of the police to uphold justice? Do they uphold justice when they ride horses into peaceful protesters? Were they upholding justice when they brutalised pickets at Bryant Colouring Plant in 1974, Grunwick in 1977 or Orgreave in 1984? Were they upholding justice when they framed the Birmingham Six, the Guildford Four and the Maguire Seven? What about Hillsborough Stadium in 1989? Or when they spied on the family of Stephen Lawrence? Is the point of police to protect people? Like they protected Sean Rick? like they protected Julian Cole, like they protected Sarah Reed, Edson DaCosta, Jermaine Baker, Ian Tomlinson, Mark Duggan, Jermaine Baker, Jean-Charles de Menzies, Jimmy Mabenga. Of all these victims of UK police, not a single cop was convicted. The last time a police officer was convicted for a death in custody was 1969. Despite the popular idea of the police as a thin blue line between us, whoever us is, and total chaos, The police aren't very good at solving crimes, upholding justice, or protecting us. Empirical studies into the police repeatedly find the same problems, low rates of crime solution, being useless at prosecuting white collar crime, i.e. rich people crime, racism, protecting themselves as an organization from scrutiny or consequence. The police seem to be really bad at their job if we see their job as what it's supposed to be in our heads, in our common cultural understanding. Unless, of course, the answer to what's the point of the police is something else. Unless the point of the police is to uphold existing social relations, private property, white supremacy in the state, then they're pretty fucking good at it. 
Think about when and why the police were created. The first professional English police force wasn't created in England. It was created in Ireland. The Dublin Police Act in 1786 created a professional, uniformed and armed police force in Dublin in response to resistance to English rule. They were made to prevent organised resistance. In 1798, London was the biggest port in the world and its merchants wanted to protect their stuff, their property from thieves. They financed the first professional police force in London, the Thames River Police. They were made to protect private property. The first official professional police force as an arm of the state on English soil though, that's the Metropolitan Police Department of London, the Met, created in 1829 by Tory Home Secretary Robert Peel. That's why they call them Bobbies, Robert, the Bobby Peel. Um, their other nickname being coppers because of them like grabbing people, you know, like Copperfield. When first introduced, the police were not popular. People routinely mocked them in the streets. And that's interesting because that's kind of the point of why they were created. The social function of police is to uphold the current order and be seen to have legitimacy to do so. Basically, they don't just want to use the military. Think of the Peterloo massacre. 18 protesters were killed when the cavalry charged into a crowd in Manchester demanding democratic reforms. Part of why the backlash was such a problem for the British state was the cavalry were soldiers. They needed to create a new institution that would conceal the naked violence of the state. And that's where the police come in make sure they don't have guns or swords either because you can enact violence not through their direct actions but through the mechanisms of like jail the death penalty and transportation people kind of saw straight through this in 1833 only a few years after the met was created police constable robert cully was stabbed in the chest at coldbath field this was the first confrontation between working class protesters and the met the crowd at coldbath field assembled to listen to speeches arguing for greater democratic reform in the uk the Met was sent in to shut them down. The police charged the crowd, trapping some protesters in a nearby street. Cully was stabbed by a protester struggling to get out. There was an inquest into his death. In 1833, this was done by a public jury. The jury declared Cully's death as justifiable homicide. They concluded that police violence had provoked the crowd. And the actions of his killer, who was never caught, were justified. This verdict was met with cheers. The jury were given medals and a celebratory boat ride down the Thames. They were seen as defenders of freedom, heroes. Whatever the 1833 equivalent of today's bootlicking cop simps were vastly outnumbered. Since the 1830s, the police have increased their perceived legitimacy. Job done in that regard. And sure, a lot of people hate cops, but I don't think there'd be a celebratory boat ride for anyone vindicating the stabbing of a cop today. Let's be real, a jury like that would never be given the chance to even make that decision today. But with their greater perceived legitimacy, they've also increased the scope of their actions. One revealing aspect of this has to be what's known as the spy cops scandal. Since the wave of protests that spread across the world in 1968, the UK police started infiltrating hundreds of political groups. They had always recruited informants that would get paid to snitch on their comrades. Now they took it to another level, creating fake identities and joining groups themselves. Who are these dangerous groups the police are going to go to such lengths to protect us from? Well, the vast majority are left-wing, progressive and environmental groups that challenge the existing social order. There's a lot about this that is fucked up, but one particular part 
that is especially fucked up is the fact that at least 20 undercover officers deceived women into intimate sexual relationships to get information and undermine these groups. In the words of one victim who had a child with an undercover officer posing as an animal rights activist, she felt she had been, be prepared, this is quite extreme, but I think justified language, raped by the state. After her son was born, this woman became less involved in activism and therefore became a less valuable source to the undercover police officer she had married and he became increasingly distant. These actions by an individual would be horrendous, but that there's an organization that tells people to do this, that trains people to do this, that pays people to do this, is to me even more horrifying. And to what end? To ensure environmentalism doesn't advance? To maintain the existing system in all its unsustainable cruelty? What is the point of the police? So we've been sold on this idea. Mm. Society, which I'm going to define here as a world where people are constantly murdering each other, mm. is something that has been granted to us through the civilizing effects of law and police. If there wasn't a law which said don't murder people, do you think that would make a difference? <laughs> no, I mean, I don't. I think people kind of figure that shit, shit out. The big bads, the big social bads are pretty obviously socially bad. It's why um, I'm sure it's lodged in your brain, you know, the from, from the new atheism era of like, mm. well, where'd you get morality from? Oh, did you need someone to explain not to murder? Did you need a being a higher being to tell you to not murder. I think there's like some real big deep down philosophies at play mm. when it's not a new thing. Like Hobbes mm. was writing in what, somewhere in the 16th century? 17th like century, we, yeah. 17th during, the, century. Was, during the Civil War. But he, he basically thought and created a cornerstone of liberalism, which says that if you don't have like a modern state where people sacrifice very basic freedoms to live in a city state where there's going to be law and order and authority and hierarchy, mm. that you are going to be living just in Game of Thrones, pure raids all the time <laughs> style, where raiders well, and bandits are going to come around every other week and just set fire to everything. Hobbes' ideas, because obviously he's writing at the time of the Civil War, so he and he literally, he ha he, I think he was in France because he was kind of in, in exile during the interregnum, because he was, I think he favoured to an extent the royalists. Basically, law and order had broken down because the state had, well, it had collapsed, but basically two factions of the state, parliament and the king, had been at war with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, but Hobbes' conclusion is so weird because parliament's army and there's the king's army and they're fighting each other. And he's talking about, oh, look how horrible the violence is when there is not this leviathan that's all powerful. And then he draws this conclusion that life without an all powerful state Life without an all-powerful sovereign is nasty, brutish, and short, and that's what the state mm. of nature is, and that's human nature. And he's also writing that you know the, the Thirty Years' War, the European wars are going for, but it's like, well, these wars and these violence are through. They're either states fighting other states or factions attempting to control the state. You know that level of horrific mass violence is only possible through the institution of the state. But Hobbes's conclusion is the fucking opposite, where he goes, "Do you know what? The state just needs to be more powerful." Mm. His state of nature, his idea of what the world is like without a state. You know, he's pretending to be empirical because at least he's and he's made the step of at least not saying do what you're told because God says so. He's not doing a divine right of kings. He's making an argument for monarchy that is actually you need to do what the monarch says because if the state collapses, that's going to be a big problem and lots of people will die. But 
he creates this state of nature, which is the supposed way humans are when there isn't a state, but he's not doing it. He's not doing like anthropological studies of stateless societies or looking at the history. He's just mm. making one up in his head and then drawing unhinged conclusions from it and pretending it's empiricism. And it's the same unhinged con- conclusion that like the word anarchism it just <laughs> yeah, commonly yeah, yeah. just means like things have gone mad now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing works. Everyone's running around in opposite directions. Everyone's setting fires. Anarchists themselves will, will use that term, but it mean, it's uh, it it means like no state. So for yeah. an anarchist who's into that, they're like, yeah, no state, wicked, because that will solve no lots of problems. Right. But in in yeah. many people's heads, they're like, oh, no state. And it's funny because yeah. I think people who think that it's like, would you be doing horrible stuff if there wasn't a state? Because yeah. that's what that's <laughs> that's what it makes me think when you say that. And it's the same people who's like. Yeah, if the purge happened, there'll be just murders. It's like, you're telling me you want you're, to murder. Um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the only yeah. reason you're not murdering is because you're scared. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, are a, yeah. you are a cowardly potential murderer. The, isn't the only reason evil doesn't happen because of vi- violent deterrence? Huh? What? Sorry, mate. What, what are you saying? Can you sit farther up, further away from me, please? I'd love to do a crime, but I'm so scared. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so like Hobbes has created that as like a pillar of like liberalism as like hierarchy. Stars, guys, it would be Mm. great to have to do all these things, but we've got to lose some of our freedoms so that we can live in a hierarchy where we're safe. Mm. It's just one of those rules like no pudding until you've had your dinner. Mm. It's sad. I'd love to have my pudding now, but Mm. we have to have it after dinner because that's how we have order. Um, and I think that that's like really deep in a lot of people's brains. And also, yeah. like since Fro- I'm doing a big leap few centuries oh, yeah. uh, later, but like since Freud, mm-hmm. Freud has set up like the founding um, the founding philosophies that underpin mm. a lot of psychology. Mm. And part of that is in your brain, there's all these mad things you want to do, <laughs> like. If you have a dream where you set a fire, that could mean you're really an arsonist. And so we need all of these limits. Do you know what I mean? We need all of these limits on people's heads because inside people's brains are all these like beast emotions and they just want to like punch and fuck, you know? In defense of any psychiatrists or psychologists that might be listening, a lot of them do think Freud is mad. However, very much like Hobbes, the ideas of Freud and the ideas of Hobbes seem intuitively correct to people and are pretty widespread. So even if even if people go, yeah, Hobbes bit bit wrong or Freud bit wrong, their their ideas are so pervasive that they're they're still important. If you're a psychologist listening to this, you probably don't like rate yeah. Freud. <laughs> yeah. But like I can tell you when I went to go and get counselling, they started doing like transactional analysis on me. And I consider that just neo Freudianism. Mm-hmm. Like like that's just yeah, another yeah. like ego super ego id model that's based <laughs> on what your parents said to you when you were young and, and that imprintation like this stuff's not gone it's yeah. still part of the bones of these disciplines and all of them are based on this idea that like humans are wrongers right mm-hmm. humans are wrongers and we are kept safe from our own wrongness by other humans in part of a system liberalism just wants the panopticon and that's the most fun they could imagine (laughs) but it's the good panopticon isn't it it's like it's the commonality between liberalism and conservatism hobbes is seen commonly as the kind of father of european conservatism but also he's daddy liberalism as well and they're Mm. coming from because everyone knows that conservatism comes from these premises of like humans are innately fucked and need to be controlled and they need like authority figures, et cetera, et cetera. So much of that is carried over into liberalism as well of like mm-hmm. freedom to, you know, like Locke. So he's the big person who that comes after Hobbes and is 
more so seen as the the father of European liberalism. He was involved in the you know the the emergent slave trade and writing the constitution of I think Carolina, uh, where he uh, contr- had some control of kind of uh, plantations there or had investments in them, and he's writing stuff about human liberty while profiteering from slave labor. <laughs> the, the the links between kind of quite atrocious authoritarian thinking and liberalism are uh, pretty bleak. And again, it's like that thing of, you know, even Locke's coming from the assumption that people will do rough shit if they get away with it. And it's like, yeah, you would think that if you owned slaves. Mm. <laughs> In Bristol, there's a little museum to like all the slavery, what they did. Mm. And there's this diary entry on the wall there that I remember reading and it had a massive impact on me. Mm. But it was this guy just talking about like sending all these slaves over and he was like, if this was wrong, like someone would stop me, right? Like if this was mm, bad, mm. someone would, or God would stop me. Like this has to be okay yeah. because no one is stopping me from doing it. And, and and you can tell like this guy's kind of twisted up being like, listen, if you put doing slavery in front of me, I'm going to do it. But like, <laughs> can, if it's not right, can someone just tell me, please? Like someone, no one's told me not to, so it yeah. must be all right. There is this feeling that once you've decided that society is just and represents mm, justice, mm that the things that it doesn't prevent or the things that it doesn't criminalise must be not just permitted, literally okay and fine and <laughs> part of virtuous activity. Yeah, There's yeah, like, yeah. on Hobbes on one end, is the fear of the ravages of a wild civilization mm. of just raiders and people with torches running around <laughs> the woods all day, screaming constantly. <laughs> but there's this other feeling, which is, society holds up this idea of what is good and Mm. protects it to some degree Mm. and so how could things be terrible here how could there be like real genocide or murders Mm. or how could there be systemic violence Mm. i would have heard about that someone who wasn't like some mad podcaster would have told me that (laughs) it would be in the papers do you know like society regulates itself someone would have told me if this stuff was awful yeah Someone that I trust, right? Someone with a blue tick or a big job. <laughs> Someone with a really, really wide chair. <laughs> it's fun to watch people who assume, and again, it tends to be liberals, the sort of absolute like uh, slack-jawed awe you get from some you know, quite highly paid political commentators when they witness things like The Sun, a newspaper doing something fucked, or mm. a politician not adhering to some norm they're supposed to adhere to or there just being no consequences for some fucked behavior like what's what's going on it's like it's almost like all these institutions that you think are good are just an expression of social relations and i'll never get over the amount of people that still now is go oh don't worry the uh, government's looking into it and hopefully they'll just prosecute themselves <laughs> thank god oh, yeah, yeah thank god we've got this system in place well i can't believe the left just keeps saying but 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 iraq about tony blair uh hello there was an inquiry don't you remember the inquiry it's actually pretty comprehensive what happened Lots of experts. It is huge. Yeah. It is huge. <laughs> it is very is long. Big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To them, like, a consequence is just someone going, ah, yeah, you did do a murder. Anyway, um, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> well, egg on your face. Someone's <laughs> just said you are a murderer. Well, <laughs> off I go as well. Have a good day. <laughs> so there is, like, I don't accept... I mean, we, mm. we've, we've like referenced it several times, but like mm. fundamentally I don't accept the idea that without law or without a police force, 
it would just mean that crime happens. We're not held mm. back. Mm. I think that a lot of crime happens because people end up in very extreme circumstances, whether poverty or whether part of mm. just something in their life has either been made terribly bad or just failed to be treated mm. in some way. Mm. And yet there is a group of people who I do think do do premeditated murders mm-hmm. all the time and get away from it. Mm-hmm. The very people who say we need a society we need the government and I am the government (laughs) and our job is to stop recklessness and murder Mm. breaking out. They are the people who can just kill with impunity Mm -hmm. and do so not even out of a crime of passion. Mm -hmm. It's just to like balance a bunch of numbers. Yeah. Like the Hobbes's nasty, brutish and short existence is government. It is the personification of the state. I mean, even a recent one, you know, the proposed massive cuts to the foreign aid budget, as much as foreign aid is like a completely fucked thing where it's just a transfer of wealth from, you know, the state to corporate interests or whatever. And there's loads of like boomerang aid and all that kind of stuff where they just say they're going to give money to some deprived, underdeveloped country. And then the money just goes back into the, uh, the imperial core. Nonetheless, those decisions are going to kill a lot of people and diminish the lives of thousands of others. And that is a decision that can only necessarily be made by a state. Mm. And the cops ain't going to investigate that. That's just not illegal. Yeah, not only is it not illegal, it's the state which manifests law that is doing it. Yeah. It's not only not illegal, it is the law. The law is doing that. The law is the purge. <laughs> <laughs> During the time that men live without a common power to keep them all in awe, they are in that condition which is called war, and such a war as is of every man against every man, where every man is an enemy to every man, and which is worst of all, continual fear and danger of violent death, and the life of man is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Signed, Mr. Thomas Hobbes, age 63 and a half. Human beings, sure our lucky civilization came along to haul us all out of the cack before gatehouses, policemen, CCTV, all human interaction could be summed up by a looping gif of cavemen bonking each other on the head with a thick club in the shape of a chicken drumstick. Were it not for the bittersweet medicine of a repressive society, then who's to say how many people would not be in beast mode right now? That's why I never venture too far into the countryside, lest the urge to kill consume me completely. Thomas Hobbes was the first big hitter in telling us that human beings are simply a box of murder energy. But the more modern formulation comes from Freud. In his 1929 book, Civilization and Its Discontents, Freud sketches out the human being as a creature with immutable drives for individual pleasure, driven to violent behaviour towards authority figures, sexual competitors, and anything that obstructs their crusade for individual gratification. Here is a guy in desperate need of some female friends. The job of civilization is to temper these feelings and tamp them deep down so that we can all enjoy a lovely walk without someone doing an axe to our bones. The repression not only keeps us safe, but it also stops us doing violence. And if we're prevented from doing violence, we also can have a more fulfilling life. It's easier to make friends if you don't murder everyone in sight. But these are both majorly pessimistic worldviews. 
That pessimism has a pretty clear material cause. Hobbes is responding to the upheaval of the English Civil War, Freud responding to the upheaval of World War One. And by the time World War II finishes, people en masse are pretty ready to accept that we're all vicious little gremlins that need to be kept in check. Even just knowing about the basics of the world wars now is a pretty convincing argument that some monstrous force lurks within the beating heart of man. But it's this basic mistrust and fear of humanity that I really want to push back on. Firstly, Civilization is not the cure for this kind of brutality. It is the cause. These weren't hordes of marauders roaming the countryside. These were wars. And like all wars, they are made possible by the constant state of competition between political factions, nation states, territories. In a Hobbesian state of nature, these things don't exist. In a Hobbesian state of nature, a world war simply couldn't happen. And if human beings are inherently bloodthirsty, why did we have conscription? Why did people return from these wars utterly traumatised? In short, I think they've got it all backwards. Authority, hierarchy, repression. These only provide more motivation for violence. Secondly, what is this repression if not violence itself? If your aim is to minimise brutality against people, when you hear what these foot soldiers of your police state are doing to people, you're going to do a shit. Thirdly, what kind of creature is a human supposed to be in this world? An absolute horrible murder machine built to lie and steal and overpower and grasp and grab and consume. You're telling me you pop this guy into a police state and it'll suddenly calm down completely and develop an interest in poetry and social work and tiddlywinks? It's like you're telling me you trapped a xenomorph in a panopticon and it's suddenly got really into learning the trumpet. So many fundamental claims about how people should be governed are built on top of claims about what kind of a thing a human is. A big argument against radical change like communism, anarchism, socialism is that humans are inherently selfish, grasping little creatures. Anything founded on mutual trust will therefore collapse. But any evidence drawn to justify this claim is drawn from the behaviours of humans who already live in a coercive, unequal and repressive state. People are selfish, just look at the selfishness performed by these insecure gig economy workers. People are lazy, look at the unemployment rate in these ex-mining villages. People murder each other, look at all the huge propaganda campaign offering secure work in the army. People hurt each other, look at the knife crime that tracks to poverty in dense urban areas. People simply aren't compassionate. I approached a family of strangers eating alone and asked if I could have a third of their son's pizza in return for an all-day bus and tram ticket and I got hot gravy thrown at me just because I tried to get on the table. There is a hard limit to what you can learn about a creature by studying how it behaves in captivity. Lastly, if all this is based on claims about what human beings in the state of nature might be like, maybe it's worth looking at humans who live furthest from modern society and see if their behaviour does conform to the conjecture of white Europeans after all. The accounts of actual anthropologists paint a completely different story. Described by anthropologist Joanna Overing as a functioning anarchist society, the Piaroa people of Venezuela are considered one of the most peaceful societies in the world. They see competition as spiritually evil. They reject authority and hoarding resources outright. The Tiv people of central Nigeria see all authority as inherently suspect and believe people can only attain power by consuming the power of others. In the Malagasy state of Highland Madagascar, decisions are made by consensus. Adults giving orders to other adults is viewed with suspicion. The Palawan people of the southern Philippines have no hierarchy between age and gender. They do not recognise authority outside of seeking counsel for those who pass on skills or knowledge freely to others in the tribe. And the shared feature of all these societies, in addition to being non-hierarchical, is that they're peaceful. 
violence is rare and murder is almost unheard of. And the prevalence of peaceable anarchistic social structures in tribal society is so frequent that there are anthropologists suggesting that these are the remnants of what was once the dominant mode of human society on Earth. So maybe the pre-civilization world wasn't just the Hunger Games up until the invention of irrigation. Hey, if you listen to this, you found Disclaimer Corner. Yeah, it is possible to find uh, tribal societies that are both hierarchical, violent, or both. And there are a good many anarchist-described societies whose treatment of women is uh, very bad. And I don't think these tribes represent some kind of ideal way of living, just they they show you don't need to be repressed to be peaceful and cooperative. Basically, don't become a primitivist. I do not want to return to a pre-agrarian society. Antiseptic was the best medical invention of all time. Don't message me, don't email me. I'm not willing to argue about this. Violence and brutality is built into our society and our economy, and not into human nature. And if aliens landed with a completely different kind of nature, but they nevertheless had to eke out a living in our economy, they'd probably have to do a lot of the same stuff. They'd have to sell their labour to whoever would take it, they'd have to return profits to shareholders, the military-industrial complex would still exist, and they would still require soldiers and war. Compared to that, I just don't see how violence is built into the structure of me and 20 randos living in a farm outside the perimeter of society. I mean, I can't promise we won't have a dust-up or two if Pavel fucks up the carrots, but no one's evading Iraq. We couldn't if we tried. We might try, but we wouldn't. It wouldn't happen. From a farm? No, not happening. And the only reason these things aren't viable is because if I start up a little communal farm in the UK one day, a jeep will roll up and someone will say out of the window of that jeep, Actually, I own this land because my dad owned this land, and his dad owned his land before that dad. And if you don't leave, I'm going to Battle of the Beanfield, you. Goodbye. In 1890, Anton Chekhov went to the island of Sakhalin and wrote about his experiences meeting the Nivka people who lived there. He said, these guys have got no concept of justice. No courts, no authority. Children are treated with the same respect as adults. They were peaceful, honest, no signs that violence was in any way a part of their lifestyle. And Chekhov wrote that the Nivka people struggled to understand his way of life. Right up until them not using roads, there'd be a road built through like dense tiger forest and they just still use the forest. And that's fascinating to me. Maybe to them a road just represents the journey its builder wanted to make. And if you don't want to make that exact journey from A to B, you're not going to use that road. Not when the forest's right there. I think about that a lot. I think, wow, what a way to live. Probably a lot slower. Like, really slow. Couldn't be me. I wouldn't, I, I would never do that. But still, wow, that's living. That's freedom. I ended up reading about a very recent serial killer mm-hmm. who at all points in the story is grossly incompetent. They're not Moriarty is what you're saying. Yeah, so they're not yeah, Moriarty. Yeah, yeah. So they were known as the grinder killer. And one disclaimer uh-huh. is like, this basically this is a date rapist in the gay community who, who killed their victims. Quite likely a lot of the reason mm. this stuff wasn't investigated properly is because of institutionalised yeah, homophobia on part of the mm. police and they're just going to think it's too icky to work out who killed a gay man. Fucking so they cops. kind of didn't. Yeah, These murders, so overwhelmingly obvious what's going... I'll just talk you through like mm. how mm. this works, right? So this guy would date rape and murder many met on Grinder, mm. And the first person he does it to, he has a body to dispose of, right? That's mm. always mm. the problem with serial killing you have a Mm -hmm. body to get rid of so he leaves it outside his flat right 
And what? He, who's he, who's flat? Who's flat? The the murderer's flat he, or the victim's flat? His, the murderer leaves it outside their own flat because this person has died of an overdose of a like a recreational drug. They put that drug in their coat pocket and then they call okay. it in. And then the police come and they go, nothing suspicious here. This guy just took an overdose. Uh, Must be one of these things they're doing in the gay community now. The guy who rang it in, the murderer, Stephen Port, he originally goes, I don't know who this guy is. I just Mm. found this and then I rang it in. Mm. But then the friends of the victim say, oh, by the way, here's the address that our friend said they were staying in that night. And the police got that and went, oh, that's the address of the guy who called it in. They arrested him. And he goes, yeah, I did know him, actually, and he did die in the flat. Um, but he just must have overdosed when I wasn't looking. Um, and I panicked, and I just put the body outside. And they go, yeah, this checks out. What? Sorry, sorry, sorry for troubling you. They, what? Um, what? The, pol- the police confiscated his laptop and his phone, but they never searched either of them, which is a bit of a shame because his search history was all about how to poison people and how to do date rape, but they never looked what the fuck but because of this the fuck but because of this i bet this guy if this guy was fucking pirating shrek they'd have got him absolutely yeah if you download beyonce's lemonade they'll be yeah carting you away oh my Um, god but because this happens this guy who's like not a a bright guy is like oh i can i can do this then this 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 can happen again so he does exactly the same thing again, and this time, instead of leaving the body outside his flat, he right. drags it on a bed sheet right. from his flat, his front door of his flat, to the cemetery across the road. Oh, fuck. And then plants the same drug in like the coat pocket of the victim's body. He's done the same crime again. He's done the but same crime, but slight this is now like 150 metres away. It's it's by his house. It's right next to his flat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then it's found by a dog walker. It was called in. The police find it and they go, nothing suspicious here. This is because uh, they overdosed and they've got the drug here. So nothing suspicious. Fucking hell. So the friends and family like try to get in touch and are absolutely blanked by the police. Mm. But they're saying like, this guy didn't take drugs. Like mm. this really isn't like him. This is very extraordinary behavior. We think there's foul mm. play. Nothing. Yeah. No investigation launched. Murder number three. Fuck this is where sake. this is where things start getting bonkers. He does the exact same thing again and takes the, a body using the exact same method, puts it on a mm. bed sheet, takes it to the exact same spot in the cemetery. Fuck does the hell. exact same thing. It's found by the exact same dog walker. It is the same guy who finds the third one, but then this time. He's included a fake suicide note on the body. And this suicide note is the most suspicious fake thing I've ever seen. The third victim Mm. owns up to the murder of the second victim. Oh my God, come on. It says, I killed him, I'm so sorry. And then it says, this is verbatim, BTW, do not blame the other guy whose house I was with. The guy in the flat across the road. He was no. nothing to do with it. No, it doesn't fucking yeah, it say does. that. It says BTW. You fuck off. It, it says sa- that. It says this the is, guy Are you reading off 4chan? Double check the URL. <laughs> this was got from the papers. I got this out of... You can, you can look this up Did the papers get it from 4chan? The papers did not get it from 4chan. The papers got it from like police records. That's fuck. This is... This is 
I'm so tro- there's so many things that are troubling about this. I just, I just don't want to believe it. This is fucked. That is so fucked. Do you know what I mean? And the police went, yes. this is suspicious here. And great, because we found out who killed the other guy. And we don't need to do an investigation into the guy in the flat across the road because this note says it wasn't him. Wow. Do you know what I mean? It's it's really obvious that something's wrong. And it feels Did like the, the police the police are like Wiley Coyote running into a drawing of like a tunnel. I mean, they're just fucking, they're so fucking useless. Did anything down the line happens so obviously people have found out that this guy did it what what's the yeah they did after did the fourth happen? murder eventually um enough friends and family so what members, was the fourth murder uh he murdered someone and put them in the exact same spot in the graveyard but he'd already said that's gonna fuck it up you don't put the note on the third <laughs> one then do that yeah because if the third guy's the murderer how did this fourth body come about you're absolutely right For he's not a good sake. serial killer I'd say that's not his worst crime. His worst crime is probably the murders, but you're right the, in terms oh, the of mur- narrative yeah, yeah. continuity. This does not add up. Fucking hell. Basically, the families of the four people had to just kick off. Essentially, it was families right. and friends kicking off because because it's spreading through the gay community and people yes. start making connections and links yeah, yeah. and then they start doing their own research. And then once you start like looking at the profiles, uh-huh. there's like a commonality of people have been talking to on different websites and they could pinpoint it was him. But it's like they should have pinpointed it was him. The community actually did it, not the cops. Normal people had to do it. Yeah, yeah. non-police had to do it. And then they had to force the cops. So they kept saying like, did you like check this bed sheet for DNA? Because they mm. had, when they took Stephen in, Mm. after the first murder they took Mm. his dna so his dna was on record so if they ever checked the dna on these bodies on their clothes on the bed sheet they were dragged there it would have led them to the guy across the road Um, and also after they got the suicide note the coroner asked the lead detective so if you check with the family if this is even his handwriting and the detective said yes but that wasn't true so they lied they were shit and they lied they just didn't Fucking want to investigate, hell. I think. There has been, however, here's some good news. There has been an inquest after three years. Oh, with um, the cops no, looking no, into the cops? Well, you know, it's not all bad. Um, yeah. One of the 17 officers being investigated actually gave an interview. The rest refused. And the watchdog has decided not to offer any disciplinary procedures or penalties to the police. A new one has been launched, which will start next year. Although I imagine it'll have the same outcome. For fuck's sake, man. It's fucked, isn't it? Yeah, that is fucked. Literally, like, there's nothing to make you feel like if you got murdered, Uh the police would do anything to, like, work out what happened. Yeah. And then if you add on top of that being gay or being black or just being being anything, the police are like, I don't give a shit. Like, Mm. wasn't it during, like, last year, like, a black teenager was missing... Yeah, in yeah, London, yeah, yeah. and the police said, if his mom can't find him, I don't know what you want us to do. <sighs> like, what's the fucking point of having a, a police? Like, I mean, the, the cops police. have almost got it there. Mm, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's so close to getting yeah. it, right? Yeah. Of the cops going, we're not going to help. It's like, okay, well, let's just not yeah, spend well, money fuck, on you fuck guys. Fuck you then. Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Lewis Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean with additional music by Jack Lewis Evans and Sean Morley. Please consider supporting us if you are able at patreon.com forward slash mandatory redistribution party or by sharing this episode with your friends or line manager. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. 
Farewell. Farewell.